Hello, it's Jean-Marc and here is the eighth episode of my autobiography with astrological source. Before my first Saturn return, I was a student. I was studying psychology in Nancy, in the northeast of France, where I grew up. But at the time Saturn completed its first cycle, I was working in a farm in the south of France. I was keeping sheep and goats, milking them, making cheese, taking rocks out of fields or forking manure. And I loved this life. The scenery was stunningly beautiful. Middle mountains, rocky slopes with plenty of prickly bushes and rather dry pastures. From a certain perspective, you could say that Saturn, in keeping with its grim reputation, destroyed my university life and announced the time to drop out. From another perspective, though, Saturn took me to the next level on my real path. When I was a student, I learned a great deal about psychology and also sociology, history of religions, biology. It was really worth it. I successfully passed the exams of the three first years without putting much effort into it. But I felt like a ghost. I was a mind that didn't know how to stop floating and become incarnated. I was mentally ill. This is a self-diagnosis, but it won't be difficult to convince you I wasn't alright. The most difficult time was just before I became a psychology student. I hit rock bottom during the winter of 1984 to 1985. I was 23. Saturn then was transiting in Scorpio over my natal Sun, Neptune and Mars, and the nodal axis was also transiting over the Scorpio-Taurus axis. Transiting Neptune was squaring my natal Moon and my progressed Moon in its last quarter phase squared my natal Sun-Neptune around that time as well. Sometimes I lost the time. I didn't lose time. I lost the time. I created this expression. I'll explain. For instance, one day in spring my father gave me a basket and a knife and insisted that I did some weeding in the garden. He thought a bit of work would be good for me. I didn't share his idea on the topic, but I said yes, and I went. A bit later, I asked to myself, but where am I? The impression was similar to waking up in a room that is not your bedroom, and it takes you some time before you remember what happened the day before and why you are not in your own bed. Where, where am I? I was sitting under the cherry tree. There was an empty basket and a knife near me. Three hours had passed, but it felt like five minutes. I had been drifting along a river of thoughts and feelings in a state of complete distraction from reality. I called that losing the time. I was not able to watch a movie or a TV program and understand what was going on. But I didn't mind. <laughs> I, if I saw a man and a woman talking, there was an atmosphere and the movie was good enough for me. 
I was numb, in a sort of state of shock. Once I stayed eight hours sitting on a chair in a bar. The barman was kind, he liked me. I could pay two francs for a coffee in the morning and let myself be carried away by songs on the radio for hours. I could also feel distressed at times. I was craving for love, physically, of course, and emotionally. But I was like a baby who can't walk. Life is a dance, and I didn't know the steps. One day, in another bar, I had to leave because a guy I wasn't familiar enough with tried to engage in conversation. I felt like throwing up. I said nothing and I left. I'll tell you how I ended up in such a state another day, otherwise I'll keep explaining what happened before and I would like this narration to move forward. During that rock-bottom winter, I lived at a friend's. I had kicked myself out of my parents' home. They didn't run after me. My stepmother's parents were on a visit. I was talking some kind of rebellious nonsense to the step-grandfather, as you do when you don't know how to package your feelings. He said, not to me, but in front of me, to the room, in a very self-satisfied tone, his style, I have to say, I am worried about his future. I shouted, I am not worried about yours, and I left home. It's not a nice thing to say to an old man with crutches, that's for sure. My parents wouldn't have kicked me out. The family was emotionally incompetent, but they hold strong principles. On the material plane, it was safe. Anyway, I went to this friend who welcomed lost souls at his place. He was a protective alcoholic. The rooster was his nickname, Lecoq in French. He was two years older than me. We were in primary school together. He worked as a painter during the day and spent the evenings and weekends drinking beer in bars. When I was staying at his place, he used to wake me up when he came home at midnight to drink a last bottle of beer and philosophize in drunk Leo style before staggering to bed. He had a great broken heart. He didn't heat his flat. In winter, there was ice on the inside of the windows. He never locked his door either. One night, I heard noise in the living room at 4 a.m. I went to see there were three guys on a punitive expedition against the rooster. There had been an exchange of views and blows in the evening, I suppose. The rooster wouldn't have started it, but he was likely to conclude if provoked. But for now, he was sleeping like a drunk log. The three guys were having fun messing around. They had spread tomato sauce on the furniture and the walls and broken the plants. When I came in the room, I was invited to sit down and not move. They had a friendly attitude at the same time. Violent people are like that when they are in control, you know. They like to play friendly whilst being horrible. I was offered cigarettes. One of them was rather sturdy. He was a butcher. In my room, he found my two jumpers. He took one for himself. He also found my pocket knife, an opinel. He played with it and told me, 
as if doing small talk, about a fantasy he had. It was about cutting a living human into pieces, like butchers do with carcasses of animals. He would enjoy stopping every now and then to listen to the screams. After a while, I left them in the living room and went back into my bed. They let me, but the next morning I found my guitar broken. Later I came across them again, when I went to the bar when, where I used to meet the few friends I had and drift away listening to songs on the radio. Usually these guys didn't come there. The one who offered me cigarettes at night, his nickname was Milfoy, had made a mark on the counter, striking it with the handle of a bullwhip. Everyone in there was kind of keeping calm and carrying on. The guys asked me how I was. I told Milfoy that my guitar had cost me 500 francs. He told me to come with him in his car. He would give me 500 francs. I don't know why I went. I knew perfectly that he wouldn't give me money. In the car, he jumped on me. He was shouting, I'm going to kill him! I'm going to kill him! We rolled out of the car onto the street. The third guy, a small one who wouldn't have scared anyone without the company of the others, was assisting him. I didn't defend myself. It would not have been difficult to push Milfay into a grid at some moment, but I believed that I would never be left alone by these guys or by their brothers or friends if I did anything. I let the storm pass. Lying on the street I got a few kicks in my body and in my face without too much damage. Eventually one of my friends came out of the bar slowly with his hands busy rolling a cigarette. He was a softie like me. He said, I'm coming to get my friend. Milfay had enough anyway. When there is no resistance, there is not much to do. Not long after these events, I went back to live at my parents. I accepted the suggestion by my father to go back to university. I chose psychology. Guess why? In spring, it was spring. I was losing the time under the cherry tree. I still had a few months to go before the start of the university year. A few days later, after the events, I went to knock at Milfoy's door. He lived with his mother and brothers in the shabbiest entry of the blocks. I didn't want to provoke far from it, just say a few words of peace. I mostly wanted to be courageous. I went. His mother looked at me very suspiciously and told me he wasn't there. But the day after, as I was walking home, he stopped and gave me a lift in his car. It felt rather strange. Human beings value courage. And yes, courage is a great virtue. What's wrong with the way we judge ourselves and others, though, is that we look at the outcomes only. Heroes in popular imagination are people who perform extraordinary deeds. But if we must be judged by the great spirit one day, take this as a metaphor, our courage will not be measured according to our deeds, not only 
but also according to the difficulties we had to overcome. And God knows, everyone is different. Trauma is real. Mental health is real. And even mentally healthy people have various strengths and weaknesses. This is the way life is. Self-acceptance requires humility. In the following years, I would be a student. University fees are not crazy amounts in France. These years would be years of slow recovery. Still, I would struggle with bouts of depression for most of my life. I'm fine now, thanks. At university, I was able to listen to lectures and read books part-time, to be spaced out, to learn to be social or just to be depressed part-time, and I managed to pass the exam successfully for three years. But for the fourth year, you need to focus much more and I couldn't muster the energy. When Saturn would return to its natal placement, it would find me keeping sheep and goats in the south of France for a farm. A point of view would say I failed my studies. In fact, in the process of my soul learning to live on earth and heal, Saturn took me to the next level. In the mountains, I was so much closer to reality, living life in a physical body. Forking manure feels good. Walking with a dog behind a herd of sheep with heavy shoes on, even better. Thank you.